is the Bible trustworthy or does the Bible have errors? Stay tuned because we're talking on Truth Be Told Hosea 4.6, Biblical Inerrancy. Stay tuned. All right, we are back. We are back. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Trevor Trev, one half of TBT, Hosea 4.6, coming to you with a new one, uh, talking biblical inerrancy. Uh, before I get into it, um, I want to I wanna share something with you just so we all know um, how this episode is going to play out. Most of us have heard of biblical inerrancy. Um, forgive me of my voice guys because the weather where I'm at is up and down up and down up and down um, so if I sound a little bit different uh, it is the weather blame the weather um, anyways um, biblical inerrancy um, <laughs> you have a, you have different sides so some sides say the Bible is inspired infallible the only written word of God uh, the Bible is without error it is perfect and it's copy today and it's translations today, various different translations. And you have those in the camp that say that the scriptures are corrupt. Uh, but before I bring on my guests, take a listen to this. You know, all of history is a matter of establishing what's most probable. You're never going to definitively prove history because, you know, it's not like a chemistry experiment where you can do it a thousand times and come up with the same results if you don't mm -hmm. change the variables you history can't be repeated and so all we do with history of every kind is just trying to establish what probably happened and so with the bible i had been firmly convinced there were no errors and so i was one of these guys who would uh, like this apologist who would just you know reconcile everything well it could be this it could be that and after a while you start looking at it and say you know, is that really likely? If you just had one or two of these problems in the Bible, yeah, you could probably do that. But when you've got dozens and hundreds of them just in the New Testament, you get to a point you're saying, you know, every one of these, I've got to say, the unlikely thing is, is the right one. You know, every time. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, no, my guest is not that voice that some are familiar with. Um, <laughs> that is, if you, you most of you heard, that is Bart Ehrman, uh, who represents one side of the equation, one side of the argument. Um, I guess on today, uh, some of you have heard of him. Some of you, hey, look, some of you use him in seminary like I did. His works, he is widely known for his work, his contribution in uh, it was dealing with the New Testament Greek. Uh, he's well respected, well regarded, and I did not know uh, that he dealt with apologetics until recently so i would like to bring on my guest on today dr bill mounts some of you might know by the title of his book william d mounts uh but i'm glad to have him on uh dr mouse welcome 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 there it's we good. Go. thanks absolutely absolutely i'm glad that you decided to come on i'm glad i'm glad about it glad we got everything worked out um <clears throat> so just tell us a little bit about yourself those that may not be familiar like i said i i became very familiar with you in seminary so but those that uh don't know something about you never heard about you so tell us a little bit about yourself well i grew up in the midwest in southern california and an academic family a christian family i uh, fell in love with new testament studies and got a phd uh, taught for 10 years at azusa pacific university in southern cal took five years off took four years at Gordon-Conwell in Boston, and then uh, realized I'd really rather be preaching. So I went back and started a church in Spokane, and, and uh, now we're uh, up in the neck of the woods in the northeast corner of Washington State, and uh, it's where our cabin was, and we decided just to live here full time, and I can just write and enjoy God's creation. I, uh, the main book I've written is The Basics of Biblical Greek. I've written a lot of other Greek books to kind of go along with it, but that's the main one. And then the last one I wrote was Why I Trust the Bible. The other thing that people may know me from is that I was the New Testament chair of the ESV, did that for 10 years, and now I'm on the CBT, the Committee for Bible Translation, that's responsible for the text of the NIV. So a uh, lot of lot of stuff in Greek and original languages, and uh, but 
probably more of a pastor at heart than anything else. Amen. Amen. Um, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And then you got the, your book, which is uh, well, you have a, a, a numerous amount of books. I have quite a few here um, to Thank help you. to help me with my Greek, um, which is uh, I just took my Greek prof proficiency exam uh, for my Ph.D. So we'll see how I did on that. Hopefully, I think it's about maybe a little bit over 20 of us in this uh, seminar. Um, my doctoral supervisor told us it is about the majority of students had Greek exams. It's only a handful that had um, Hebrew and Aramaic, but mm -hmm. so it's going to take a little while to get back, but we mm -hmm. shall see I actually passed German uh, proficiency oh. exam this summer. So I'm, I'm really surprised by that. one. <laughs> well, if you can, you can do German, you can do Greek. Yeah. You know, it was, I, I don't know what it is. I just with Greek, it just, I'm not saying it intimidates me. I'm just, I'm it's, you got to use it every day. Um, so I think like, uh, I try to devote my mornings at least 30 minutes to translations, even post the proficiency test, um, right before it gets crazy busy at my job. Then that's my time to pull out my little Greek new Testament and do some translation work. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But we're not talking about Greek today. I wish we were because I pick his brain about some stuff I have questions on. But you have another book out, which I think is most needed today, as you guys heard. Um, and then I'm pretty sure um, Dr. Mouse will talk a little bit about some scholars who differ um, because it's it's a lot deeper than just, you know, problems here and there you get into when you get into historical Jesus research and studies you got the debate over memory you have uh, you know mythology insert, uh, inserted into the gospels what some scholars argue you know and then the you know the disciples represent certain characters or style of characters you have you have all sorts of debate and argumentation that goes into play you have different uh, viewpoints. You have a liberation viewpoint. You have a feminist viewpoint. Uh, nowadays, you have a LGBTQ viewpoint, um, an argument that goes into play here. Um, so I think that it was it is very important. It It is important. Thank God that um, Dr. Mouse agreed to come on um, to talk about his book. Why should I trust the Bible? Why should we trust the Bible. Dr. Miles, what made you come up with a book like this? After you're known for the Greek, what made you write on uh, trusting the Bible? First of all, the book is why I trust the Bible. The, uh, the should is crossed out. If that was right. a, that was an editor's idea for a very clever cover, but anyways, why I trust the Bible and the question mark uh, crossed out <laughs> and the question marks crossed out. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important because it is the question of the day. It doesn't matter where I go. Uh, this is the question that people are asking. I was in South Africa lecturing on some different topics, and one night we decided to open up the uh, conversations, and the only questions were from 600 or so people. You know, what about contradictions? What about the text, the Greek texts? It was this. It is the question of the day, and it's uh, certainly been pushed by Bart Ehrman. I mean, he's pushed it more, but this question comes around about every 10 years, and Usually it's the same old arguments in when new uh, wineskins, so to speak. Uh, so you kind of have to deal with the same issue about every decade. But it is it is the question, and it's a legitimate question because if you don't ask the question, then you'll never really trust the Bible. I used to have this trouble with incoming freshmen in college that you know I, I was a little antagonistic or a little tongue in cheek, I guess. But I say you know you know why do you believe the Bible? And I would say, oh, does your mommy tell you to? <laughs> what your parents tell you is important, but right. that won't that won't hold you to the text to trust it to to rest your life on it until you've actually thought through for yourself. Do I really believe this? Is Jesus right. who he said he is, and did he do what he said he did? And is the Bible a reliable witness to that? So I, I think I've always encouraged students to struggle with the issues. And that's that's why I wrote it. I mean, we were 
we have been recording classes on my uh, ministry, biblicaltraining.org, mm-hmm. and we have quite a few classes like this. And I did kind of a summary class on all the different topics. And much to my surprise, I got to think is that I don't think Zonovan even has a book on this topic. And I think this went through publication board faster than any other book I've done. And mm. I just gave them the table of contents to my class and uh, I had a contract in a month and was writing away. So it is, that's why it's, it's such an important thing. People in this day and age where truth is perceived as being relative, where people don't trust authorities, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then, um, man, you got to, you have to, you have to know why you do believe this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially today. I mean, you have, oh gosh, with so much stuff going on in culture, um, you have just recently with all the, and we did several episodes just talking with actual, you know, scholars and astrophysicists that deal with the subject of aliens and you know mm. UFOs from the biblical and look at this from a biblical perspective and and just kind of walk through. I mean, you have all, you have that going on. People might question the faith. Well, why is it first thing is well, why isn't it in the Bible? That's the that's the that's one of the questions I run into. Well, why isn't that in the Bible? Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's not in the Bible, right? And so, you know, I mean, just because something's not discussed isn't, it just means that God didn't think that it was significant for his people to know. Exactly. But there's there's all, I mean, I mean, there's all kinds of things we would like to know. The animals go to heaven. Yeah. Animals talk in heaven. I mean, we're curious about a lot of things, but yeah, just because the Bible doesn't discuss anything, you know, um, depending upon your interpretation of a was a Genesis six one the sons of God uh-huh. right um, this yeah aliens is not a topic right yeah yeah uh, and they see you know you got a lot of people that would bridge you would try to bridge that you know the Bnei Elohim or you know the Nephilim and then they jump to Enoch and that's what happens and you know I thank God for. I'd see what happened with me Doctor Mouse was I asked this pastor a question. And, uh, you know, he was a Pentecostal holiness preacher. I said, now you guys say that tongues are the language of angels. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I said, well, and it was, I was brand new. I wouldn't say brand. I was always raised in church, but really at a certain point, I had one foot in the world. Majority, I would say about 75% of myself was in the world. The other 25% was in church. I would just go to church because it was the right thing mm-hmm. to do. So mm-hmm. when I really fully came, I asked a question. I said, you know, you guys say that tongues is the language of angels. Um, and I say, well, you know, I was reading in Job and, and, you know, Satan presented himself before God and the sons of God, you know, the Satan figure, the devil figure. And I say, well, wouldn't that imply that Satan knows tongues or that God and Satan might have a language of their own? And it, he just got irate. This person got irate. Uh-huh. And uh, that's what propelled me to go into really studying the Bible. I first started off in um, public um, state funded school. So I got the what we would say today, progressive side. Uh-huh. And then I went to Liberty and went got my bachelor's from there and my MDiv in apologetics from there. And um, I just saw I, I think it's, it's needed. What I'm trying to say is needed today. Because one, you had the internet, so much is available. And, you know, you have these kids. I, I've got my little kids know how to operate a phone. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe that you, you don't come to people empty handed. If, you, if you're a preacher of the word, if you're a minister, or, you know, you're just a student of the word, don't come to people empty handed. And so they might bring to you. And I'm gonna get you to chime in this um, about something with with uh, you're gonna hear this a lot soon. Uh, oh, the Council of Nicaea inserted all of that, and they did this and they did that. You know the Da Vinci Code. Um, mm-hmm. While you're out on tour, you know, have you encountered? Are these some of the questions that you're encountering um, concerning the Da Vinci Code? Or the Council of Nicaea changed the you know changed the Bible? Are they? They this is and this is the crazy part to me is that they will say, Well, the council of Nazi invented Jesus. I'm like, dude, you gotta be kidding me. 
you know, no, but I, I don't, you know, but go ahead, go ahead, weigh in. This is this your episode. <laughs> well, I'd say, you know, the Da Vinci Code uh, did a lot of damage. It, it says at the very beginning that it's a novel, that it's, it's fiction, but then uh, Brown presents everything as fact. And it's, it's the fact of the matter is that it's completely and totally made up. There's not an, there's not a shred of evidence, but if you say something long enough and loudly enough, people start to assume that it must be true, or at least there's a, a good argument for it. Now, the Council of Nicaea had nothing to do with what most people said it did. It was over the Arian debate. It was the relationship of God the Father to God the Son. Um, Constantine, as far as we know, had nothing to do with it. It was a political move on his part because he was worried about his empire fracturing. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly his mom didn't have anything to do with it. But, you know, it, it makes a good story. And but the thing is, we have the documents of the Council of Nicaea. We, we know what they talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know who was there. And uh, the idea of creating the Trinity or of determining the canon. The canon was never discussed. And it was, um, but if people say something loud enough for long enough, then other people uh, who don't do their homework will, you know, tend to, can tend to believe it. Right. But yeah, nice, yeah, the council I see is, it's an, it's an easy one to deal with because you just have to ask the person, can you show me any historical document that says this is what happened? And, and they can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of them don't know. I mean, you have schisms, you know, that led up to, uh, you know, the Council of Nicaea. You had the Donatist schism. Um, you know, you had that problem there. You uh, I think I forget the church historian that talks about it in his book. I think his last name Everett, I think, um, or Ferguson. Um, it talks about the Council of Arles that predated um, Council of Nicaea by maybe 10 years, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. So you had some things that took place prior to that. Um, And and many years prior to that. You know, the nice thing about, and and that whole thing is, yeah, there was, there was the docetists and uh, there were Gnostics and there was early on the the Pharisaical party within Mm -hmm. Christianity. And uh, there was origin. But the fact is, those were all on the fringe and the core doctrines of scripture were so well set that Mm -hmm. the church fathers were able to deal with the heresies. And so far from saying that there was these major schisms in the church, I mean, Arian was, was pretty popular. Arius was pretty popular, Mm -hmm. but the, the truth was set. There was no question as to the person of Christ. And and really, I mean, well, I I overstated that, Uh, there was enough good theology in place, widely accepted, that these things didn't divide the church in any serious way. Um, yeah. So that actually is an argument against like Bart Ehrman, and who's just repeating a, something a German person said almost a couple hundred years ago, 150 years ago, that, you know, there was just the party of Paul and the party of Peter and, yeah. and the winner, the person who won the theological debate was able to craft the definition of what orthodoxy is but there's just there's there's no evidence to that there mm-hmm. there just isn't and, and professor airman will say that and say that and you'll write books on it but you know you, you look at the specific what you might imagine peter believed as a jew and you have one confrontation with with paul and that's it well that's not enough evidence to say there was a schism in the church and in fact i just read this the other day when you had a Jerusalem council meeting in Acts 15. It was Peter that got up and said, hey, I was the guy that went to the Gentiles. The gospel is supposed to go to the Gentiles. So it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, Peter represented this Jewish faction that was trying to split the church. It's just the evidence isn't there. But yeah, that doesn't stop people from saying it. Yeah. Um, you have a couple chapters um, that's, you know, in the front of your book about the historical Jesus. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, because this is, this is, you know, you know, as well as anybody that it's debated, uh, you know, there's a lot of debates involved with, um, historical Jesus studies and research. Mm -hmm. I got to ask you about memory. Um, (laughs) 
what is your thoughts? Because <clears throat> you have this with with just not Ehrman, but several other scholars that would what you know how trustworthy is memory? Yeah. Um, it, can we know the exact words of Jesus? Um, are we moving off of you know recycled memory, uh, patchwork memory? Can we know the? I think it's the epistema, 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 uh, verbu or Jesu. Verb of Jesu, yeah, I think that's what it is. Okay, this is a verb of Mavox. there. We go, yeah. okay. I forgot, I forgot the first word when you said that. Yeah, uh, well, you've asked several questions, so let, let me see if I can separate them out. The, the standard answer, I think, is basically reliable. Craig Keener just wrote a massive book, as all his books are massive, where he really fine tuned this answer but still held to the answer, and that is. Jesus lived in an oral culture, yeah. and in an oral culture, you didn't write things down. You had to test your, you had to work your memory, and they could just remember better than we can. It's, I mean, our brains are capable of it, but we just kind of write things down. Uh, I can't even remember what I'm supposed to buy at the store, so I pull out my phone and I have a to-do list. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can't remember the 13 things my wife asked me to pick up, but in an oral culture, that's simply not a problem. Um, and so that's about, when you when you realize that there were rabbis that memorized the entire Old Testament, that it was standard fare for Greek school children to memorize the Iliad and the Odyssey. I mean, it's mm -hmm. over two hundred thousand words, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you're just you're just living in a totally different culture. That's hard for us to understand. And there's other things. There's you know there was the words of Jesus were were stated in public for the most part, and there were people that could correct others if they were wrong. I mean, there, there's a lot of arguments that um, memory memory was good, memory was relied on, and but there there are people that are arguing that even the rabbis didn't mind if their disciples took notes, and if you've been chosen at all, you can see one version of that where there was notes being taken. Um, but at the at the end of the day, and and I've kind of softened my position just a little on how good memory is. I still I still believe in the in the basic argument of oral culture, but when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will give you memory of everything I've done and said, uh, I, I think that we need to as Christians need to give that more weight. And right. it was a promise from Jesus that this function, this one of the functions of the Spirit was to give them a clear memory of of Jesus's teachings, and I I don't think we push on that because we don't push on that hard enough because we can't prove it, but you. Know, you can't at the end of the day prove anything. Uh, mm -hmm. You can only see mm -hmm. what what seems to be most reliable, what's internally consistent, what explains the facts, kind of thing. And so, I, I think you have to give uh, leeway to the spirits' work in their lives. But you know, most of the people to get the other half of that question, almost all the people that I have read that want to question the authenticity of the Bible in this particular, in the in area of the historical Jesus, and did the gospel writers get it right? Mm -hmm. the, the overwhelming argument is they don't believe in the miraculous. Mm. And that's a presupposition. presupposition. When you say that's uh, like a, a Western, go ahead, let me, I'll ask you this, I, I, I'll ask you, ask you this oh. after this section right here. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it's okay because it is a Western presupposition gotcha. that there's okay. not the miraculous. You can't go to India and say there's no supernatural. They would simply look at you and right. be able to count ten miracles that happened in the last three weeks. I mean, it's exactly. just it is it is a Western thing. But if you don't believe in the miraculous, then you can't believe in the virgin birth, and so that's not reliable. And you can't believe in, you don't believe in miracles, and so none of the miracles are accurate. So what happens is people. Um, for lack of a better word, they, they cherry pick and mm -hmm. they, they create God in their own image. Who do they think he is? And so as you look at all the historical Jesus debates, it's, well, he was a kind, gentle philosopher. No, he was a political revolutionary. No, he was this. No, he was that. Uh, he's a feminist. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, and when you can pick and choose what you want from the text, then you make Jesus your own image and that's what's reliable, and all the other stuff is unreliable. But the fact of the matter is, if you 
believe that the God who created and sustains all things can intervene in the course of human history and do whatever he jolly well wants to do, then there's no reason to start excising these huge amounts of scripture. And all of a sudden, the, the arguments uh, for against the historical, uh, the picture of Jesus that we have in the gospel as being inaccurate, those things just go away. Right, right. Um, how much do you think, and you're starting to hear this kind of, well, let me go back here, uh, because I think her name is uh, Teresa O'Kerr, O'Kerr, A, I'm sorry, O-K-U-R-E. But she points that out as this being a white Western male concept of, you know, dealing away with the miraculous. But then she points out, um, it's either her or another uh, uh, female scholar who points out, you know, that historical Jesus studies must now consider the global South. Because if you go to some of these, you know, just look at these uh, missionary reports, you know, where they mm -hmm. have power encounters craig keener and um i was telling several friends is you know um which situations they have going on um you need to read that second volume of craig keener's work about these power encounters it's uh you know i think that that needs to come into play um because you have these folks that may not be christian um, but they may say, you know, you know what these missionaries report that in the name of Jesus or something, something stops. And so what does that say about, you know, Jesus of history? How do we how do we incorporate that? You know, but um, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> let, let me say something about. Yeah. That, help okay. yourself. Help yourself. Craig's a good friend of mine. And um, he documents, I think, it's 50,000 uh, miracles. Mm hmm. And he read a paper at the Institute of, of uh, Biblical Research a few Ooh, years ago. That's the because, heavy hitter. Yeah. <laughs> Craig's a heavy hitter. Um, and I talked to him afterwards, and I said, why, why did you read that paper here? Because uh, this is the IBR crowd is like the Fuller crowd. That's about where most, of, not all of them, but uh, most of them are theologically. Mm -hmm. And he said, he said, I'm concerned that, that people think that because there's miracles in the Bible that they can't be true, but if I can show that there are miracles today, then that whole argument goes away. Right. And so his two volume is really an apologetic that mm -hmm. you, you can't dismiss ancient miracles because modern miracles are all around us. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. again, all you have to do is go to India and start talking, and you'll find that in the majority, maybe even the vast majority of the cases of the of the Hindus that became Christians is because they experienced the power of God. Right. And they right. so in basically what was going on in Jesus' day, the miracles were there to attest to the reality of his message. Mm -hmm. And that still happens all over the place. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that, that's what Craig is doing with that two volume. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the uh, especially the second one, considering um, how that's that's going into play with my uh, where I'm going at with my dissertation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so any, but yeah, that <clears throat> to me, when she um, <clears throat> is an uh, excellent book, uh, The State of New Testament Studies. So it's a survey of recent uh, research. But, you know, one of the chapters uh, where it, it's it's solely focused on historical Jesus research. I appreciate what the chapter author included was other viewpoints and mm -hmm. to consider even in her um, conclusion, you know, taking the evidence, you know, that says, you know, basically that she she kind of I don't know. I can't remember. She blatantly says um that we need to consider, but it sounds like she's saying we need to consider the global South um, because you're, you're starting to see a rise of Christianity within Latin America, Africa, um, all over Asia. And then what, what Dr. Keener mentions in his second volume, I mean, all of these are these places, their, their view of the supernatural is sky high, their percentage numbers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so. it's, I think anyone that's been charting the course of the church knows that, in the last hundred years, maybe that the spirit is slowly moving to other areas of the world mm -hmm. to do his work. Yeah. And 
we've I mean we've kicked him out of everything. Yeah, we kicked him out of school. We kicked him out of government. And there's some point a point in which God says, "All right, I'm I'm out I'm out of here." I mean, just my daughter lives in Germany, and it's like she's found a few good churches, uh, but it is it is a secular place and places well, most of. I mean, you still have a lot of Catholicism in France, but and uh, Anglicism in uh, in Britain, but for uh, the most part, I mean, the, you know, the church is close to non-existent. And so, where's he? Where's it going? What's well, going south? Yeah, it is. It you know, and it it. I mean, it's. I think a few years ago, I heard of Brazilian missionaries coming to America to evangelize. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's. I'm, it sounds. I'm not trying to sound this way, but it's. It almost sounds shocking, you know that. You know, and and it goes back to cultural exegesis, mm-hmm. you know, to take a step as preachers, as ministers, as students of God's word. If you're in seminary or working on a doctorate of some kind, D-man, THC, PhD, and you want to get involved helping the church, you got you got to, you know, don't be so spiritual. I grew up in a uh, Pentecostal Holiness church, so. You know, we couldn't look at certain stuff. We couldn't listen to certain stuff because you're going to go to hell, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's a tribute to Carl Bart, um, you got to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. You know, <laughs> that's a famous Swindoll quote. I don't know. Swindoll. I, yeah, I keep hearing Carl Bart and then Swindoll, but uh, well, oh, the yeah. scholar has said Swindoll, so I'm going to go with Swindoll. Oh. So God bless that's right. That's where I first heard it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, one of the things that I wanted to see in seminary um, is there, sh- there really needs to be two preaching classes. There needs to be a traditional homiletics. How do you mm-hmm. exegete the text? Right. We just, well, I was just as important, but as close to being as important as, as to how to exegete culture. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a newspaper in your other hand, if you don't know what is going on in the world, uh, the people in your church do. That's why what Daryl Bach at Dallas, what he's doing is so important. Yeah, uh, he does their table talk uh, yep. podcasts, and he said, "What is his title? Is church engagement, something like that? The professor for for church engagement, world engagement, something like that." And uh, but he is. It's constantly what's going on in the world, and how can we understand what's going on in the world. Uh, we just did an interview with Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell's son. We're recording yeah. a class is in apologetics in about a month and a half. Okay. And he has a wonderful technique uh, in dealing with people that have different opinions. And it's always to listen and ask questions first. Mm. And then you then you have something to talk about and you have some credibility to talk about these things. But, man, if you don't listen, if you don't know what's going on, um, you, you you can't your your preaching can't be effective right so, yeah gotta have that newspaper oh yeah yeah or a podcast or podcast i mean you know um dr eric mason he uh he was talking about you know don't be afraid to listen to certain radio shows because there's you know there's certain shows that you know they will talk about god or they may bring on guests and talk religion and then when you listen to them it's always you know, well, Jesus is a recapitulation of another God or, or you know, the Bible's corrupt. And, you know, well, they who wrote that? Who wrote that? You know, man wrote that. So, no. you know, you're going to have some of these people that come to you that have went to YouTube University. Not that YouTube's wrong, but you got to know where to go for your research and what have you that are just regurgitating information that is not sound in any type of scholarly work and so the first thing i ask well where are you getting that from what Mm -hmm. what's your sources where are you getting that from who told you that oh i've done my research and so that's a to me that's a (laughs) you know that's an alarm in my head like no you haven't you just you're regurgitating information you know so um let me ask you as we get ready to wrap up time i want to ask you um let me just ask you a little nerdy question. What what are your thoughts about Q source? Well, I mean, I think you know, maybe initially, you know, Q was thought of as being a single document, but it's most likely it's it's a collection 
Um, some of it might, might be verbal, but the problem is you have places in Matthew and Luke that are word for word the same. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've got to be able to explain that somehow. So, uh, there has to have been at least a document or a collection of documents that we call Q. Um, mm-hmm. otherwise you, you just can't explain that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I want to say too, uh, well, not about Q, but well, cause I know we got to get wrap up on time here. Um, one of the more blatant contradictions that I keep hearing has to deal with the resurrection appearances. Yeah. They differ. What do you give it to me? However you want to give it to us. Uh, Is it (laughs) different historical viewpoints or is this, is this story just fabricated? I think you would, you have to, um, I'm trying to think of a good example that, I have, a, I have a good friend, George Guthrie, teaches up at Regent College now in Canada. And when George would teach on the synoptic problem, as it's called, uh, he mm-hmm. would put two kids out in the hallway for a half hour. He would explain, how do you explain the similarities and differences among Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially? And then he'd bring one of them in and he'd say, okay, tell us what happened in the last half hour in the hallway. And the student would explain, okay. Then he'd bring in the second student and say, now tell us what happened in the hallway. And it, it, George said, it, it didn't take longer than 30 seconds for the class just to start laughing. And it was kind of like, were you two sitting in the same hallway at the same time? Hmm. And the fact of the matter is, we, this is how we tell stories. We latch onto things that are of interest to us or we think are significant or are key to an experience and certainly the two students would have had some overlap but they notice different things now are those contradictions no of course not Mm -hmm. they're just it's how we tell stories and and that's i think the the thing you have to keep harping on we just tell individuals tell stories differently so uh, they, they they go to the tomb and, um, you know, one gospel writer says uh, there was one angel there, and the other one says there were two. Is that, a, is that a contradiction? Well, of course it's not. Now, if they said there was one angel and only one angel, then that is a contradiction. Yeah. But I, I can say, hey, in class today, I was talking to John, and John said such and such. Well, yeah, but there were 30 other people in the class. But by not mentioning them, am I saying that there was only one? No, I just, for whatever purpose and how I want to tell my story, John was the one that was significant. So in this whole thing of problems between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is amazing how many times you just have to look back and say, how do people tell stories? And yeah. again, part of it is the system of ox and the system of verba thing. Uh, when Jesus tells the paralyzed man to get up, uh, pick up his mat and go, uh, the Greek actually uses three different words for that mat. Uh, one of the words refers specifically to the kind of mat that a sick person would lie on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other ones use other words. Now, it's, they're just telling the same story. And, you know, I mean, most likely, well, all all ancient people were bilingual. You don't have to assume that. I mean, it's we all know they were all bilingual. Mm-hmm. And Jesus would have done some of his teaching in Aramaic and some in Greek. The New Testament's all in Greek, except for a few, you know, Talitha Kum and Tetelestai kind of, well, that's even Greek, um, what Jesus said on the cross. And so, yeah. I mean, we have some of that, but we already have one layer of translation when we're reading Greek in, in many cases, I think. And so um, you're going to say, well, the gospel writers use three different words. Yeah, but it was, it was the mat the man was lying on. So what does it matter? Right. Because right. most likely, you know, I, my assumption is always that when Jesus was more of a private situation, he'd speak in Aramaic. And when he was in more public, he'd speak Greek. I just... It just seems to me that's kind of a, a, a easy way to do it. So I would assume in this story with, with all the people crowding into the house and, and he, he's going to be speaking Aramaic and he used a word and the different gospel writers use three different Greek words for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
Um, it just how do people tell stories? We this obsession that we have in our culture with precision uh, is not an ancient uh, obsession, and we don't. Uh, while we want to be more exact, that was not as big a concern. Now they were so honest and truthful and reliable. But, you know, they weren't building circuit boards, so it didn't matter whether it was one micron or two microns. You know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but you know, e- even in today, we, what I would do in class is I would say, you know, how tall are you? The person would say, oh, I'm 5'11". I'd say, liar. You're not 5'11". No, no one. Is anyone exactly 5'11"? Maybe they're 5'11 mm-hmm. and one millimeter. I mean, it's like, right. but we, we understand that we can communicate ideas in a trustworthy, reliable way without this absolute demand for precision that scholars sometimes put on Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's how we tell stories. Yeah. Um. So if... if uh... If you had a student come to you and say, you know, Dr. Mounts, I hear what you're talking about. Um, the incredible eyewitness testimony of Jesus, you know, the trustworthiness of the Gospels. Why do you, Dr. Mounts, trust the Bible? <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to lecture on this all the time, and it was not till seven or eight years into it that I realized, you know, I never tell the people why I trust the Bible <laughs> and I, I I probably should um, I should communicate that um, I, I have several things uh, first of all it says it's from God uh-huh. I don't I don't believe everything I read but if it ever claimed to be from God I probably wouldn't think it's from God but it says it's from God so that's kind of a starting point uh, secondly the arguments against it just aren't convincing I just real briefly briefly my two best friends in grad school were Daryl Bach, who went to Dallas, and Craig Blomberg, who went to Trinity. I went mm-hmm. to Fuller. In Fuller, we were taught that there were errors in Scripture. Mm-hmm. In Dallas and Trinity, they were taught aggressively to argue against uh, errors in Scripture. Right. Well, Daryl used to come in every, on Thursdays. We would have the three of us would have dinner together or lunch together, and then we'd argue all afternoon. Best educational experience of my life. And <laughs> say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And they always had answers for it. I kept scratching my head, and it's kind of like, wow. After a while, you got to the point of saying, the Bible is certainly generally reliable, and I've not been able to hear an argument to the contrary that was convincing to me. Mm-hmm. You know, one angel or two angels isn't convincing to me. And so I got to the point where I said, you know, it deserves the benefit of the doubt. And there are times I'll still call up Craig, and I say, Craig, what do you do with this? And he, he always has, Craig always has an answer for those things. Um, so the, the, the arguments against it are not, uh, don't convince me. And there's all kinds of positive arguments uh, that why, you know, that oral tradition is trustworthy. The gospel writers, you know, knew the truth and, and had people checking up in there so they had to convey it accurately. Um, but also, I think another real strong argument is that it's rational yeah i just think it makes sense you know how do you describe how do you how do you explain the existence of beauty design irreducible complexity Mm -hmm. well the bible has answers to those and the bible's answers are we serve a beautiful god who designed his world in an incredibly complex way sean was talking about how long each strand of DNA is in our bodies. We have a trillion cells. I think he said that if you lined up all the DNA, it'd go back to the to the sun and back eight times. I mean, it's just, wow. Uh, it, don't quote me on that, but it's it, it's it'll be in the class. Mm. Um, but the really, the important thing there for people to understand is that you can't prove anything ultimately about a faith system. Right. Whether you're Buddhist or Hindu, whether you're a Christian, whether you are a materialist or a spiritual person or whatever, these are all these are all faith systems. I, I watched a movie the other night and the guy said, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Well, he said it right. He believes mm-hmm. in science. Mm-hmm. You can't prove in if it's an ultimate system, 
it's a faith system. And so at some point you just simply have to say, I believe. Yeah. But I, I, it's important, I think, to add, too, is that I meet Jesus in the text. I mean, I just do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 70 years old now. I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. Um, I believe he's the Lord and Master over all that he's made. Uh, I believe that what he says I should do and who I should be is right. And the Bible is the clearest, the most reliable way in which God has been able to introduce me to himself and to encourage me to live in a relationship with him. So at the, at the end of the day, I meet Jesus in the text, and so I believe it. Yeah. Do you, and we'll, let me ask you this in close. Do you think that most people that get on that search of the historical Jesus, do you think they're trying to get to that point? Well, you, ne- you never know what people's yeah. motives are. Uh, but when you read things like, well, the Bible's not reliable because it says Jesus was born of a virgin. And we know that Jesus, that there are no such things as virgin births. And, you know, when you hear stuff like that, you go, you mean God can't do what a husband and wife can do? Mm-hmm. I mean, really? Mm-hmm. What, why, why would, you have to wonder if there's a desire to tear things down to rip Christianity apart. And without wanting to say that's true of any one specific individual, it certainly is true of a large swatch of people who just, they want to destroy. Yeah. They want to tear down. But I mean, I would never say that about any one individual because I don't know their heart. But I mean, I've read enough of these things that they just scratch your head and go, what, what, why, why would you say that you know, the council and I see it was about something that it wasn't about. Mm-hmm. I mean, just why would you say that? It didn't make any sense to me. Right. So, but ultimately, that's why, that's why I believe. Yeah. Well, that's the horn because we are out of time. I wish we could uh, uh, chit-chat for a little bit longer with Dr. Mounts, but I don't want to spoil his book. I want you all to go pick his book up. Uh, Dr. Mounts, I know I got my copy off of Amazon. Is there any place else that may support a ministry, may support your ministry, uh, where they might get your book, or is it just Amazon? Well, no, it's it's anywhere you can get a book. You know, ChristianBook.com okay. is a is a good organization. Yeah, uh, Christian organization, and I I try to send people uh, there, and you can, yeah, I I would I would get it there. All right, we'll get it at uh get it at CBD, and I will CBD. put the put the link below. And uh, Dr. Mouse, you also have your organization as well. <clears throat> yep, BiblicalTraining.org is something I started in 2000, and we're dealing with the issue of biblical illiteracy in the church, and how most of the good teachers are locked up behind paywalls that most people can't afford. So we record. Uh, usually the top scholar in the world in a particular field yeah. and, uh, and give it away for free because we want people you can't be like Jesus unless you know what he's like and you can't know what he's like unless you know the Bible so yeah. we're actually recording this week John Oswald from Asbury Seminary on 1st oh, yeah. and 2nd Kings uh, oh, yeah. we, did, we did Isaiah a while back but I mean if, if, you, if you know seminaries and professors and you look at our list of professors you'll realize that these are the these are the very very top guys and and gals in their field so yeah so, that's what we're doing some heavy hitters and um yeah. i think i think that's that's wonderful that is that is awesome um to bring that i guess you would say seminary to the church because everybody cannot afford to go um right. you know some people may not have that type of push to go but they still want to know and and then you you even have some that just say you know what i'm not going but i still read their books and so uh it's nice to have um men and women in the faith uh who are you know what i say degreed up they have a lot of uh they have a lot of initials behind their names Mm -hmm. that are helping the church they're a doctor for the church a doctor of the church and so um, I will list that below because I think that is wonderful. Um, and then you you have a YouTube page, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, it's it's not overly active. It's okay. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm 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 meeting with Sean McDowell's uh, social media guy tomorrow. And okay. Seeing uh, we can uh, get a little more activity going there, but yeah, okay. you got That's where you got to go these days, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot of uh, you know activity on uh, uh excuse me on on YouTube. Um, yeah, because I'm not. I mean, our videos. The, just the audio it will upload to youtube but um a lot of my traffic is through podcasting yep. so yep. it's global so you might get somebody from lithuania that might come in contact with you so it's um, amazing it is it is and i mean it's technology and and thank god for technology uh <laughs> but yeah but well, you know uh, te technology is neutral it can be used for great good and great evil yeah, I know. When the radio first came out, the church fought it and fought it because they thought it'd be evil. Then it became the single greatest missions tool in the, the world's ever seen. And you mm. can broadcast radio everywhere, and and the internet's going to be the same thing. There's so much trash on it. It's 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 just amazing. I've got filters galore to keep oh, me wow. safe. But uh, but you can also now get a complete education for free on biblical training. Yeah, um, you can. No matter where you live. Yep, and it's uh it's a lot of a lot of schools offering um, certificates for really cheap. Right. Um, I mean, if you know how to if you know how to research and you know you know how to pull up articles, scholarly articles, you know you can you can be you're you're in you're near the ballpark. You know, yeah. you probably you might be able to get in, but um, but anywho, but uh, Doctor Mounts, I, I greatly appreciate you stopping by and chatting with me on today. Uh, God bless you, sir. And, and again, please click on those links below and uh, go get that book, uh, especially if you have young people in your church or maybe if um, I see some now, um, which is which is wonderful, uh, uh, you know, some church organizations that are requiring their ordained ministers, elders to take a small course on apologetics so i think that's wonderful um yeah. because i think you should know why you believe what you believe and why and then as well as why you trust this bible so yeah um i mean if you're gonna preach from it you need to trust it but, but yeah, yeah. But, but dr mouse i appreciate it thank you sir yeah thank you yes appreciate sir it. all right well that's the music and we got to roll up out of here y'all be good god bless you god keep you and may heaven smile upon you i'll catch you on the next episode all right peace